When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're live on a Thursday morning, the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your co-hosts now, Kevin Parker and Scott Martin at uh, on Twitter, at Standing Room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18. Uh, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends and family uh, this past episode, the, the MSU post game, not surprisingly, uh, but has been the highest listened to episode so far. So I, I really do appreciate the support. It just continues to grow and uh, we really appreciate that. So keep the love coming. If you haven't left a review on Apple podcast, uh, please do so. Uh, but speaking of the Michigan game, Scott, we're five days removed. Uh, you know, the, the emotions maybe have, have taken a little bit off of the excitement, but you know, we're five days out. How are we feeling post Michigan win on Saturday afternoon? Hard to say. You know, it doesn't feel great. Uh, it's been a great uh, lead into the election. Obviously, we are in the midst of election vote counting right now, which has been distracting and I think taken away a little bit from the excitement of that win. But uh, yeah, I mean, still feels great. Still happy to have Paul home in East Lansing. And uh, hopefully Mel Tucker's got a better grasp on on focusing his guys into the next game because I'm still obsessed with that win. Yeah, and that's something we'll get into today. Obviously, we're previewing the Iowa game. We got a couple other stuff on uh, things on the docket as well. Uh, but that's one concern, I, I guess, and we'll get into it. But, you know, how do these guys rebound from such an emotional rivalry win? It seems like Mel Tucker's saying all the right things. Uh, they, they did have on Tuesday, they had the day off to go vote, um, or at least a half day in terms of preparation. I know on Sunday, the day after the game, they got right back into the weight room to to accommodate for that. So it seems like they're doing everything necessary to prepare for this one. But yeah, it's I mean, it was such an emotional game. It, it, it always is in a rivalry, even if there's no fans in the stands. It doesn't matter. And we've seen kind of the fallout from this is we talked about it on Monday, but it, it really has come out in the national media and, and everything I've seen, you know, is Jim Harbaugh on the hot seat. And, and I love, you know, it goes back to what you said, Scott, of, you know, it, it brings this MS, this Michigan program back into turmoil and it feels really good to be the ones who put them there. 
It sure does. You know, they're they're on the ropes. Harbaugh got some extra heat um, on Monday after his press conference because of uh, the way that he approached it, you know, avoiding accountability as usual. Josh Gaddis actually took a better approach, I thought, took a little bit of took a little bit of the fall. I don't necessarily think he should have, but uh, he did. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, wherever you look, Twitter, uh, Instagram, MGO blog, wherever you uh, check in on the Michigan fan base, it's it's not a great place for them to be right now. And I mean, they got to move on and move on quickly to get this taste out of their mouth. And they got a tough one coming up against Indiana. So I know we don't want to spend the whole show on, on Michigan today. But uh, yeah, like you said, it feels great to be the source of, uh, of a lot of a lot of turmoil down there in Ann Arbor. Yeah, and that takes us, I know I mentioned on Monday's podcast, uh, but I do want to make sure that we get to Luke Baker's question from the mailbag because there there is a bit to dig into here from the Michigan game. Um, I, I know I mentioned it on the last podcast as well. So Luke Baker asked, uh, again, just a refresher, he said, excellent coach game. What do you think of Johnson's first half play calling? Does this win flip Rayshon Benny from Michigan lean to MSU lean? And we'll get to the recruiting in a minute. As far as the play calling, just, I mean, a couple notes here. There were a couple situations where we were all pretty pissed off. And I think that's where the question really goes to. In general, I I like the plays that we're calling. I like that the formations that we're getting into. I like the pre-snap motion. Situationally, though, is, is where we saw a bit of an issue from time to time. I mean, we were behind the chains at second and 15. And he's trying to run the ball up the middle and play conservative. We've seen that for so many years. And Dave Warner has has conditioned us into hating that philosophy. So I guess that's where my problem was. I would love to see a little bit more throwing the ball on first down. But at the end of the day, look, we did what we need to do to exploit that Don Brown defense. So we we threw the ball down the field and and we gave Rocky the template to really be a playmaker back there. So, I mean, any thoughts on the the play calling from Jay Johnson in the first half or in the game as a whole? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's those couple second quarter instances that stick out when we were, like you said, behind the chains first or second and long um, where where we did we weren't aggressive. There was one specifically it was first and long after either holding our personal foul and just ran the ball three times to try to take some time off the clock and put Michigan in a shorter two-minute drill. Um I mean, obviously, you'd love to see the aggression. My only thought there is that, you know, first of all, it shows that this team or this coaching staff trust the defense immensely and trust the team. They liked what they were seeing. They were confident that they didn't need to be extra aggressive coming into halftime because they really felt like they had the upper hand that they were going to be able to continue to exploit in the second half. Um, the other, you know, the other consideration there is that when we were ahead of the sticks, you know, whether it's first and 10, second and four, whatever it might be, Jim Harbaugh said he was trying to stop the run. Uh, They were keying in on the run. I don't really know why they were so focused on it, but they were, they wanted to take that aspect of the game away. And when it's a shorter down, they were bringing their guys downhill, their safeties, their linebackers, they were committing them to stop the run. When it's first and 20, those corners that we were exploiting are getting help over the top from safeties. They don't have to stack the box because even if we run the ball, pick up five to six, seven yards, they're still not in trouble. So, that advantage we had disappears pretty quickly in, uh, you know, first, second, third and long situations. So, you know, that on top of the fact that Rocky's been showing flashes, but he's still young. He did have some turnovers in the first, uh, the first game. And, and the last thing you want is to kill this confidence he built up throughout the whole first half with, uh, you know, a late turnover in the second quarter that uh, turns into points for Michigan. So 
it was obviously conservative, but like I said, I think the staff just really likes what they were seeing on both sides of the ball. They were confident they weren't going to lose their advantages in the second half. If it was a game like Ohio State where we picked up a, an early lead and we know Ohio State's going to come back with a vengeance, then you might try to be more aggressive, put a few more points on the board before the half. But I think we just knew we had the upper hand in this game early and, uh, and they were comfortable with uh, continuing that in the second half. So, I mean, it's a play calling style that doesn't look terrible when you win, looks really awful when you lose. Fans hate it. But uh, I mean, it worked out, you know, so I'm not going to complain too much in a game that we we won as a as a three touchdown underdog. And that's the thing at the end of the day is, look, we can go back to it, but you have a coaching staff that didn't have a whole lot of time to get their system in place. didn't have a whole lot of time to get the players accustomed to playing this system and everything that goes along with that. So when you're in week two and you put up 27 points against Michigan and get the win on the road, I don't know. There's not a whole lot to complain about, I guess in the moment. Yeah. There were certainly a couple of situations where we would have liked to see us be a little bit more aggressive, but you know, I I'll, I'll save my judgment really until the end of the year when we get some more time. Uh, But I think the more, the more interesting part of this question is he asked specifically about Rayshon Benny, um, but the recruiting as a whole, because look, it, it seems to be, really a big momentum flipper in not only this rivalry, but in the recruiting scene in the state of Michigan, because he mentioned Ray Sean Benny. There's been a couple other guys as well that have made some noise. Um, Scott, when you're thinking about the recruiting battles that take place in the state of Michigan year after year, how does this game potentially flip that? Yeah. I mean, it didn't take long to see that effect after this game. Uh, obviously, Rayshon Bunny crystal balls within a couple of days, all on 247 and rivals. Pretty much every single one of them flipped over to Michigan State. Uh, a couple of the reporters were saying that they talked to Benny, and he mentioned that this game specifically was a deciding factor for him. Um, it's you know it's hard to sift through those reports. You never know really what's you know what's what's a quote and what's paraphrasing. Um, you know what's concrete and what maybe is a little bit of speculation, but. I mean, it's obvious, you know, that was, Benny's been a guy who's been trending towards us, but nobody was switching their, their guesses. And and he's just a microcosm of what's going on. You saw it with Andrell Anthony over in East Lansing. We don't know if he's going to flip. He uh, had some questionable tweets. Obviously you can read into him a few different ways, but, but yeah, I mean, this is just a little, a, a couple small examples of, of what's going on in the recruits heads in the state of Michigan. And not only is it that you know, we're proving to them that we can win big games on our own. It's also putting that doubt in their heads around Michigan. And, you know, that might not, maybe that's the approach you want. Maybe it's not going head to head against Michigan and making it about them. But at the end of the day, we are competing in state against Michigan for all these targets. So um, we're going to have a lot more to prove. You know, a lot of guys are are probably, especially 2022 guys, obviously are waiting to see what happens this season uh, before they're making any kinds of commitments. And, uh, you know, if that's the only game we win this year, it's still going to be tough to pull guys in. But all of the things being equal, this was an enormous win for recruiting. And uh, I think it's already starting to pay dividends with what we're seeing, um, you know, in reports over the last few days. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of the big players as far as in-state guys. Rayshon Benny is a top 100 type player out of Oak Park, uh, plays offense and defensive line. Not really sure what his plan is in, in college, but Yeah, I mean, there was a ton of fallout from this game. Uh, Shikari Denson is a defensive back. He's out of Georgia. I I mean, it's it's not necessarily 
maybe tied specifically to this game, but he committed to Michigan state on Sunday. Um, so, you know, however much you want to read into that, you know, be my guest, but yeah, there was a, there was a bunch of comments and, and I talked to Corey Davis from rivals, um, about this and, and just kind of to get his take. And he said, you know, things are definitely trending with Benny. They were going into this game and, and that game certainly didn't help. He, he mentioned it as kind of a checking that last box in the recruiting situation. So, um, we'll see, I think his, uh, his commitment date is set for Saturday, uh, uh, November 7th, I believe. So we'll see pretty soon uh, what happens there. Dylan Tatum, he's uh, he's an athlete in uh, out of West Bloomfield in the 2022 class. That was somebody we saw a couple of those crystal ball forecasts flip over to MSU as well. He kind of projects as like a an RJ Shelton type on you know RJ Shelton with a little more juice, Percy Harvin type role on offense. Um, Andrell Anthony, Corey's a guy, another guy that Corey mentioned who, look, he's been kind of flip-flopping back and forth between the two in-state schools. He's out of East Lansing. So when you see, and this is something that he mentioned and something I, I mentioned really briefly on Monday, when you see a performance like this from the wide receivers at Michigan State and Jay Johnson and, and Rocky Lombardi are able to showcase like, hey, if you come to East Lansing as a skill position player, these are the type of situations we can put you in. We can give you a shot as a true freshman to go out there and put up 200 yards in a rivalry game because we'll keep chucking the ball downfield to you if you're making plays. So I'm interested to see kind of what comes out of that. There was an article on Rivals that was just kind of getting some comments about um, MSU. Keon Coleman, the wide receiver, he was uh, he said he was wearing MSU gear and it was he was pretty hyped for the game. Raquan Buckley is another defensive lineman. He said he loved it. Um, Tayshawn Trent, that's, you know, a top 100 type guy in the 2022 class. And, and he had a quote that was really interesting. He said, um, quote, it really took a toll on how I feel about the university. And it just goes to show you in these kind of rivalry games, like how big this can be. We are on the national stage as the big noon kickoff game on Fox. There wasn't a whole lot of other big games going on in that slate. So not only in the state of Michigan, but around the country as well. So I'm interested to see how this impacts the recruiting game. Uh, one more question before we get to start breaking down this Iowa game that's coming up on Saturday at noon is our, our good buddy, Marshall Hart. We we were just kind of sent out a call to the group chat um, this time. We, we avoided Twitter and we we're like, you know what? Hey guys, does anybody have a good question here for the podcast just to lead us into Iowa talk? And he asked again, kind of going back to this Michigan game, said, does this game rank ahead of the third string QB Ohio State game of 2015 of the best no chance in hell upset of our lifetime? Um, so, Scott, I'll, I'll turn to you for this one. Um, where does this game rank in, in your memory as a Spartan as far as the games that we just had no business being in? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a phenomenal one. We were obviously 21 to 22 six point favorite depending on you know when you took a look at the line I think the final close was like 21 and a half um it was a huge upset obviously I would say as a game in and of itself the 2015 game was probably a bigger upset I mean Ohio State was a national championship contender um they they went 12 and 1 that year they beat Notre Dame in their bowl game they were rolling just like 2013 you know they were planning on being in the uh, the national championship. And, and we took that away. 
I don't, still don't know why Ezekiel Elliott wasn't utilized more in that game. But, uh, I mean, we we had a good team and we knew that, but we didn't have a quarterback. Not only did we not have our starting quarterback, we really didn't have a, a confident quarterback. No offense to Tyler O'Connor, but he really never was the guy. Well, and the funny um, thing was is in – Usually when you get that backup quarterback, it's like, oh, you know, hey, nobody's seen this kid play. It's his first start or something. And it's whether that inspires less or more confidence, I'm not sure. But it was a guy that we've seen. And we were like, no, 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 I've seen this guy. He sucks. We got no shot. Yeah, yeah. And now when you look at it as far as the implications of the win, I think that's when you get into more even territory, possibly even putting this Michigan game ahead of that. And the reason being is because Mel Tucker's been obviously recruiting for Michigan State since he got hired in February. He's been walking in, not only him, but his staff, have been walking into these kids' homes and they've been selling them on an idea. You know, and if you take the analogy of like building, building a building, you know, the architect would start with like a rendering. It's always really pretty. It's bright. It looks great, you know, uh, but it's not real. It's just an idea. And then they have to make it real. So, you know, this is starting to put those bricks down in that building. It's taking these you know, taking these guys to, you know, the building site and showing them what we showed you, we're actually doing this. This is going to be a reality. When you get on campus, what we told you is going to be here is going to be here. We're going to be a team that can win these kinds of games. And I think that's just so important for this program because in 2015, people knew we were a good team. They didn't necessarily think we were going to beat Ohio State, but they knew we were a good team. We were, you know, pretty much at the peak of our program at that point. And we weren't selling dreams. Uh, Mel Tucker's really been selling a dream for the last however many months it's been, eight or nine months since since he got hired. And, and this is just the beginning to show recruits, like I said, we're going to fulfill our promises. We're going to have the program we think, you know, we're selling you on. And uh, if you come here, you can be a part of it. So I think, you know, going back to the previous question on recruiting as well, that's really where this game matters. Um, and like I said, we have to follow it up with at least a decent season, you know, in these next six games, we can't just go back and lose all seven games. We have to look competent, but um, you know, this is a really, a really, really, really early and unexpected statement win for Mel Tucker to put on his resume and use as a recruiting tool, which in that sense, I think might be more valuable to the program than that Ohio state win. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you look at the context of like, Hey, we had no chance in this game. Um, I, I agree with you. I think that Ohio state game was, more in that realm because I just from the time of the year, right at that point, Ohio state was rolling through the country. They started off the season. Number one in the country, they won every single game. I know they dropped a couple spots because other teams look more impressive or whatever the case may be, but you know, this Michigan team certainly looked good in week one, but they were an inexperienced team in week two of a season. Like, it wasn't like we were going up against a true like juggernaut like Ohio state was. So um, in that sense, uh, that Ohio state game, it, the Ohio state game was a 13 and a half point spread. Um, obviously the Michigan game was, was much higher in that sense, but um, you have a couple other games here um, not to forget, right. 2017 and 2018 Penn state. Um, those were Penn state teams that were, had real college football playoff implications. And those were 2017 was a 10 point spread. 2018 was a 13 and a half point spread. So those are a couple games that are right there as well. Um, in my memory, I was trying to think back the Georgia outback bowl 
that was a game where you watched the first half and we certainly had no business being in that game. I think we had like eight yards of offense and like three turnovers by halftime. Uh, but the line was only three and a half in that game. Uh, Georgia was favored. So going into that one, I guess, certainly doesn't really qualify. Um, I, I was digging in to do some research. The The other one I found was that um, in 2005, John L. Smith and, and the Michigan State Spartans finished the year five and six, didn't go to a bowl game, bad team, bad year. They beat a Notre Dame team. I, I have no idea what the point spread was on this one. I'm sure it was pretty hefty. That's a Notre Dame team that uh, their three losses on the year finished the year nine and three. Their three losses were to number one USC, and that was the the famous Bush push game with Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush. And then at the end of the season in the Fiesta Bowl to number four at the time, number four Ohio State. So it was it was those classic, actually good Notre Dame teams with I think Brady Quinn was the quarterback. And yeah, their their other two losses on the year were to the number one and number four teams in the country. And somehow Michigan State pulled that one out with a bad team and a bad head coach. So I don't know what the point spread was there. I was trying to find it, but um, I'm sure that was well in the double digits and, and we somehow pulled that one out. So I guess that's another one that would qualify for me. Um, but a- any other thoughts, you know, kind of wrapping up that before we jump into to the Iowa game, whether it's about the Michigan game or, or any of these questions that we've tackled or, or should we just jump into the Iowa preview here? Yeah, I mean, I, I really think what we said about recruiting and just building a foundation for this program is really what this uh, this win means. Obviously, it'd be gravy on top if Michigan really did fall into a tumultuous time and, and fall back in the rivalry again. That's obviously a lot to be seen, whether that's going to happen or not. I think a bounce back win for Harbaugh against Indiana this week would do a lot to calm their nerves. But uh, but yeah, in general, I mean, I'm just I think for so many reasons, it was an enormous win. Obviously, the biggest uh, win Mel Tucker's had here, probably the biggest win Mel Tucker's ever had as a head coach. Uh, obviously, the Colorado win against Nebraska last year was pretty big um, for Colorado fans, but I don't think it necessarily had the same implications. So, um, yeah, I mean, psyched. But like you said, we got to we got to bounce back here. We got to stay focused and, and let's get into the Iowa game because it's uh, it's not going to be an easy one. It's going to be an interesting game. No, and it's and I think it's one of the better games on the Big Ten slate this week. Uh, we go through our picks every single week. You can again follow on Twitter at Standing Room MSU at Spartan Martin eighteen um, at Marshall J ninety three as well, and the Doc, the mysterious Doc. Um, we go through our picks every single week. We pick every game against the spread in the Big Ten, and then we pick four games nationally. The Pac twelve is back, so we got a Pac twelve game on there this week, but. It's an interesting week. You know, you talk about the Michigan-Indiana game. That's a three-point spread. Um, there's not a whole lot else. Ohio State's playing Rutgers. Penn State's playing Maryland. Those are two big spreads. But the Ohio State or the Iowa-Michigan State game is probably one of the better games here on the slate. Um, since we brought it up, I, I will just have to mention here that I am 9-3-1 and one against the spread uh, in those picks. So if you want to follow along, um, I'm certainly – got a hot hand right now and now that i say that i'm gonna go zero and five this week but uh or zero and six but um let's let's jump into this iowa game so i did talk with uh, my good buddy jeffrey the greek at twitter on twitter at jeffrey the greek uh he is a former iowa football player 
Um, and he's been on the podcast before. So he's got a lot of good information. They got the eyes on big podcast um, where they break down the entire big 10 conference. Um, this is a team. So last year they were 10 and three, uh, but they, they lost a lot. They lost their starting quarterback. They lost a first round offensive lineman in Tristan Wirfs. Uh, they lost AJ Epinesa defensive lineman, definitely their best defensive player could have been a first round draft pick as well. I think he was an early second, um, but you know, they, they return all their skill players and that was going to be the key to this team this year. Um, uh, the problem Spencer, Spencer Petrus, their quarterback who took over for Nate Stanley has not been very good. Um, when you look at this team in 2020, they're Owen two to start the year the losses to Purdue and Northwestern. Uh, Petrus has thrown in those two games for 481 yards. That's 54% completion percentage, one touchdown, three interceptions. Uh, their running backs have been pretty solid. Tyler Goodson and Mackay Sargent, or lead kind of a little committee there. They have 211 yards and two touchdowns between them on the year. Um, a lot better than what we've done on the ground, but their wide receiver, their pass catchers are solid. Um, Sam Laporte is their tight end. He leads the team in catches. Brandon Smith is probably going to be the number one here. Um, now that we have uh, some big news here because Amir Smith, Marset, their number one receiver, their kick returner, their punt returner, electric playmaker, is out for this game. He was suspended after uh, the last game that they played against Northwestern. And that leaves a pretty big hole in this offense that we'll get to in a minute here. Um, defensively, Davion Nixon and Chauncey Golston. Those are going to be the two guys you keep an eye on up front. Um, those are two disruptive defensive linemen. And that's really the strength of that defense. The secondary can be beat. The linebackers are are solid. It's Iowa. They're always going to have solid play at the linebacker position, but um, those are two disruptive guys here. Um, before I really get into, I, again, I talked a lot with Jeffrey the Greek here. Um, Scott, we, you know, we've, we've kind of been following the big 10 here and what's been going on. I don't know if you watched the, the Iowa Northwestern game, it was a barn burner going down to the end. It was a sloppy football game. Um, but what are your kind of initial thoughts when you look at this Iowa team? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not the Iowa team you're used to facing. Um, it's never easy to go into, uh, you know, Kinnick Stadium down there and, and pull out a win. But without fans, who knows how what, what kind of advantage that'll be this year. But, yeah, I mean, they're struggling to find consistency at quarterback. Like you said, they lost a star playmaker. They're, I think they're really going to be, if they can afford it, they're going to be avoiding the pass game like the plague in this game. Um, if they can establish a, a dominant running game against our front six, they're, they're going to want to stick to that. Um, so I think that's going to be an early key, which we'll get into a little bit. But yeah, I mean, they're going to have this one circled. They started this season 0-2. It's certainly not where they want to be. Obviously, it's not where anybody wants to be. Um, with a couple of games that a lot of Iowa fans probably hoped they'd be, you know, coming away with wins in against, at Purdue and against Northwestern. So they're going to be desperate and hungry for a win. They're playing at home, uh, quote-unquote, in front of their own fans. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be a hard-nosed game, and, and they're going to have their work cut out for them. But, you know, Iowa always plays tough, and they always, they're a fundamental team. So, we're going to have to make our plays. Yeah. And, and I had a couple, you know, specific questions for Jeffrey, the Greek, I, I because yeah, again, you know, I watch the, what's going on. I, I watched most of that Iowa Northwestern game uh, last week, but you know, it's, it's always good to have somebody that's really in the program and, and to get a feel of this because my first question was, look, Spencer Petrus, their quarterback threw 50 pass attempts last week. 
And just that that's eye-opening for an Iowa quarterback to throw the ball 50 times in a game. Um, I was like, what's going on here? Like, I, I know the skill players are good. I know that that's probably the best part of their offense right now. But, um, you know, just a couple notes that he had is that that was certainly not the plan. The game plan is certainly not to throw the ball 50 times. It's an Iowa football team that's looking to establish the run and be a lot more balanced. Um, but Petrus has killed them the last couple games with turnovers and, and lack of really playmaking ability on third down. He doesn't really have a lot of juice with his legs. He hasn't been able to capitalize through the air on some of these money downs and, and clutch situations. Um, he did mention, because I asked him about Amir Smith-Marset, um, he mentioned that Tyrone Tracy, the, their third wide receiver, he's more than capable of stepping in here. So he's definitely going to have a big impact on this offense. But look, he, he was their best playmaker. He was their best playmaker on offense. And, and he's a guy that has made a big impact in the special teams in the return game as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's an Iowa football team. They have a solid defense. You know what you're going to get on that side of the ball. And again, they want to establish that run, that 50 pass attempts they had last week. That was an aberration. That, that's not the game plan. Um, and, and he pointed out something that this team is not very good in the second half. And so I went in, I dug into the stats a little bit on sports reference. Their last five Big Ten games in the second half, Iowa has been outscored 15 to 47. Um, that's, you know, not what you would expect from an Iowa football team that you generally, you know, you think about the stereotypes. It's a team that they're going to get out to a lead. They're going to run that ball in the second half. They're going to control the clock and they're going to come out with a, with a win. And, And that certainly hasn't been the case again, 15 to 47 in the last five big 10 games in the second half. Two of those games were one score losses. So that definitely came back to hurt them. Two of those games were one score wins where it almost came back to hurt them. Um, and then one game was a blowout. I think it was against Illinois where they just, you know, they, they gave up a couple points at the end, but it didn't really matter. But that's, that's a pretty staggering thought. And when you think about, okay, you go into this Iowa game and you see that stat, you see a quarterback like Rocky Lombardi, who's been chucking the ball all over the yard, who, who has great receivers at his disposal, um, it's it's a game where I guess that goes to show you that if we do go down early, the game's certainly not over because Iowa's had some struggles in the second half. They they running game hasn't been as good as we would expect, and their quarterback has been prone to turning the ball over in in big spots. So I, I guess that's another thing to look for. But yeah, you, I mean this Iowa team, it's it's again the kind of to sum it up before we get into some of the matchups. It's not the Iowa team that you would expect. We both predicted them pretty poorly this year when we did our full Big Ten predictions. I know I had them at three and five, and I caught a little bit of heat for it. But it's just a team that I was I was worried about the experience that they were returning, and that has come out to play here early in the season. But um, this is a team that has led both games in the uh, coming into the second half and has blown the lead both times. And again. It's just, uh, I, I think it's not your father's Iowa's team. And this is a team that can definitely be beat. So um, let's get into some specific matchups here, Scott. When you when you think about this game that's coming up on noon on Saturday afternoon, what are some of the keys that you're going to be looking for? 
Yeah, I mean, the first one I always come to is, are we going to be able to stop the run? Most teams in the Big Ten try to start their offense there, establishing a strong running game, and Iowa has plenty of incentive to do that. You know, obviously you mentioned the struggles that their quarterback has had to get going this year. Um, and, and they're going to try to uh, help them out with a good rush attack. Their rushing has been okay. I mean, the stats aren't incredible, but they're not bad. It's certainly a competent rushing team. Better than so, us. Better than us. Um, now I th- I'm interested in this matchup too, because obviously Michigan had a phenomenal opener against Minnesota on the ground. And then last week, just, I mean, they didn't fall flat on their face, but they, they didn't really have much going against Michigan State's front six. The scheme worked really well. We were bringing the safeties down. The corners were playing in man coverage really well. Um, and we really were able to commit guys to stopping the run in the box. So um, is Michigan better or worse at running the ball than Iowa? That's, I think, to, to be determined at this point. But they certainly have the playmakers to challenge us. So if Michigan State can put up a similar performance against the running game, uh, that they did last week. I think it's really going to put a lot of pressure on this Iowa offense. So that's where I'm going to start um, looking for a big game from this defensive line. I think this defensive line has proven to be far more deep than we expected. Uh, Naquan Jones and Jacob Slade have come out to obviously be the starters inside, but we've got a two plus one, as they call it, backing them up with, with three pretty competent, pretty good looking um, defensive tackles that we can sub in and out. So that's a five man rotation inside Obviously, we've got the rotation of Camper, Fletcher, and Beasley at that second defensive end position. So, really, we've got nine guys in our defensive line rotation that I think that the coaches are comfortable playing against first-team looks on the other side of the ball. So, it starts with those four. Um, Ron Burton, you know, talks – he says, we, 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 to say it's a team effort. Um, if that if that front four and front six, by extension, can shut down the running game, I think we'll be off to a great start. Yeah, that's – Something that when you look at Iowa the first couple of weeks, it kind of like it, it actually kind of mirrors like what you said about Michigan, right? Purdue week one, they ran for 195 yards and two touchdowns. Northwestern week two, they ran for 77 yards. And so I guess the blueprint is you're looking at that Northwestern game and saying you shut down that running game, you force Petrus to, to have to throw the ball. And that clearly is not going to work for them, especially now that they're down their best receivers. So that's going to be a huge part of this game. I know Mel Tucker and Ron Burton have mentioned that they feel really comfortable with this defensive line, not only with the starting group, but Deshaun Mallory and Tyler Hunt in the middle. You know, these are guys that that are have made big plays. I mentioned Deshaun Mallory in that Michigan game. He was one of the best players on the on the field in that game. He was making yeah. plays every time I saw him in there. So that defensive line is going to be huge to shutting down this run. Um, now here's just a couple things. I, I want to start when I look at my keys, I kind of break it down into two sections, the things that I'm kind of worried about and the things that I feel pretty confident with my worries here. I, number one is that Iowa defensive line uh, certainly is, is really talented. Again, Chauncey Golston is, is a really strong pass rusher on the edge. And this Davion Nixon kid in the middle has been disruptive as anybody in the Big Ten. He's got like five and a half tackles for loss and a couple sacks early in this year. Um, So that's going to be a guy that we're going to need to shut down. And I I guess they're, they're a defense that has forced five turnovers in two games. And when you look at a Michigan State team, we have a very strange sample size when it comes to turnovers because we had seven in game one and zero in game two. So um, for a defense that has shown the ability to force turnovers, can we keep that down? 
And the last thing, and that's something that I want to touch, touch on for a little while here is that if Iowa can shut down Michigan state's running game, which is very likely uh, we haven't been able to establish anything on the ground through two weeks and Northwestern, they ran for 143 yards last week, but it took them 60 carries. They ran the ball 60 times last week to get to 143 yards. So that's under three yards a carry barely, you know, what 2.3, 2.4 yards a carry. So this is an Iowa team who's, who's very capable of shutting down the run and a Michigan state team that hasn't shown the ability to run the ball. So you're looking at a game where, again, we're going to put the ball in Rocky Lombardi's hands and say, okay, this is on you to go out there, score points and win this game. Um, I I've been critical of Rocky. I've praised Rocky after a good performance last week. The consistency is going to be really important here because this is now going to be a, a third week here where he's going to need to put this team on his back, put this offense on his back and start making plays against, you know, we talked about it. The Don Brown defense is much different than we're going to see in the rest of the country. Iowa doesn't traditionally blitz a whole lot. They're going to play their base defense and they're going to make Rocky throw the ball into a couple tight windows. They're going to get after him and, and cause a little bit of pressure with that front four. Um, so can Rocky excel in, in another game plan against a team that's not just going to play their cornerbacks on islands and allow him to chuck the ball down the field in these one-on-one matchups. So I guess that's where I want to turn this conversation is this thing that I'm worried about. Like, can Rocky repeat that performance against this Iowa defense? Yeah. And when you look at this, you know, this matchup, like you said, we're not going to get the same looks we were getting against Don Brown. Uh, Iowa's corners are probably a little bit better than what Michigan was rolling out last week as well. But um, we're just not going to have that over, t- over the top, down the sideline, drop it in the honeypot pass available uh, this week. So it's going to force him to, to look inside on short and intermediate throws. He's had some good ones. He's had a couple uh, when he was under pressure last week against Michigan where his footwork broke down a little bit uh, and he, he threw a couple high balls. One of them went through Naylor's hands, probably should have been caught, but nonetheless was a short throw that, you know, could have been uh, placed a little bit better. So I've been really looking forward to a game where he can focus on those kinds of throws. Hopefully this will be that game and see what he's got because that's really where most quarterbacks make their money. I mean, downfield shots are great, but at the end of the day, if you want to be a successful quarterback, um, especially in a competent uh, conference like the Big Ten, you got to be making those short intermediate throws with consistency, driving up that completion percent. It's something that he did against Michigan, uh, or excuse me, against Rutgers. He had a higher completion percentage in that I think it was around 70%. Um, a lot of screen passes. We've shown a lot, uh, you know, really large aptitude towards throwing screens. I mean, you've got Connor Hayward coming out of the backfield, probably one of the better receiving backs in the big 10. I expect to see a lot of that again this week, uh, especially if Iowa shows a little bit more blitzing than they have in the past. But at the end of the day, I mean, you've got tight ends that are waiting, waiting to break out. You've got quick receivers that, you know, can run these slant patterns on the inside, these drag routes, these quick hitches and everything. And, and, but those routes require good throws. So We'll see what kind of opportunities Rocky gets this week. I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that in our offense. Um, and, and he's got a lot to prove. I agree. I think it's something to watch this week. I think it's probably going to make or break our offensive performance anyway. And uh, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to, to, I don't mean to talk about Rocky so long for every game, but look, he's a starting quarterback for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of experience and a, a starting quarterback for a team that, has very little going on the ground. So 
you know, if, if you do get annoyed of just the constant talk about Rocky Lombardi, I get it. But at the same time, like he is vital to the success of this team. He's every game is going to come down to if Rocky plays poorly, we're going to lose the game. If Rocky plays really well, we're going to have a shot. So um, I, I do want to just make that note because I, I know as a sports fan, I know as a football fan, as a Detroit Lions fan, like it, it gets old. And I understand that, you know, when you're talking about Matt Stafford, every game for what a decade now, like I get it, but um, I, I, it is important, especially in this matchup coming off of his best game of his career. And yes, I'm including that Purdue game um, in 2018 he's coming off of a great game. Can he keep that momentum? It's a homecoming for him. He's an Iowa kid. Um, they were talking about it all week in the, this, the press conferences and Mel Tucker brought it up in his press conference that the Rocky has been chomping at the bit to get after this game, you know, back in Iowa at Kinnick stadium. So it's going to be a huge key to this game. Now, did I miss anything here? Is there anything else that you're kind of worried about as we look into this matchup? No, I mean, I think the defense is, is set up well to match up against Iowa's offense. I think, like I said, I was going to try to run the ball, but I don't necessarily see a lot from Iowa's running game that would be particularly more challenging than what Michigan showed us last week. You know, they play uh, a hard-nosed brand of football. They're obviously going to have a good line. They have a pretty experienced line. I think they're starting three seniors on their offensive line. So they're going to do what they need to, and, and we're going to have to make those plays. But, you know, we've shown that early as a strength of our defense stopping the run um, especially against Michigan. So on that side of the ball, I'm not too worried. I think we'll do a good job of limiting the damage. I think it'll, like you said, just come down to what we can do on offense. If we can get the running game going, I think it's going to be a nice, a nice afternoon for us. Uh, if that struggles, then like you said, it's going to come down to Rocky's arm. I don't think we have enough film on Rocky to really know if we should be confident or concerned about that scenario. Um, but we'll probably find out this weekend. And uh, I mean, look, he's got the leadership abilities you mentioned last or last episode, you know, in, in a positive way that he's a great game manager. He's, he's a guy that the coaches can rely on and it's really what's going to make him just a good game manager or, you know, a great quarterback or an elite quarterback is what is his technical abilities, his ability, like I said, to drive up that completion percentage, to keep the ball in front of the chains and to move the ball down the field. If he can mix in his legs, two that'd be great but I don't I don't think we're necessarily going to rely on that so um yeah like I said running game gets going it's going to be a nice afternoon um if not then it's going to come down to Rocky's arm yeah and so let's let's flip the script here to some more optimistic talk uh because I, I certainly think there's a lot of room for optimism again it's an Iowa team that just don't feel that good about uh to be completely honest but look again number one we shut down the run against U of M uh, Northwestern shut down the run against Iowa. If we can do that same thing, you force Spencer Petrus, who who hasn't shown the ability to go out and win a game, you force him into that spot. I think we're going to be playing from a good position. And their defensive backs have given up plays quite a bit. And that's to a Northwestern team with no skill players to speak of. And to a, a Purdue team where they were missing Rondell Moore, their best receiver, but David Bell had 13 catches for 121 yards and three touchdowns against them. So uh, they've certainly shown that they can be beat by an elite wide receiver, that they can be beat down the field. Um, so it's something where we feel really comfortable with our receivers. So, you know, we'll touch on this a little bit more, 
But uh, the other thing is, again, they're missing their best playmaker. They're missing Amir Smith-Marset, who was suspended for this game. So uh, I'll I'll dig into these a couple more, but just for those quick hitters, Scott, any thoughts about those? Any other reasons you have for optimism um, coming up here on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting matchup because – we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Iowa doesn't really have an identity yet. There's not something that you can point at at Iowa and say, this is what's going to beat you when you step on that field. You know, the running game is good, not great. Their passing game is not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> and their defense has been okay. You know, it hasn't, it, they, they're not getting blown out or anything. They've made some plays on defense to keep them in games. Um, but it's not, it's not winning them games, obviously, either. So it's, it's a tough one to really point at specific matchups. It's more of a general feel around this team in this game. And, um, you know, what it comes down to for me is, as far as what I'm most optimistic about, is just the fact that this Iowa offense has not moved the ball. Um, I went back at their, and took a look at their first two games, and they only had one touchdown drive so far this season that started on their side of the field. So, I mean, they've got seven points on well. No, they, they had a few field goals, but they have one touchdown on drives that started on their side of the field. They had one last week is a 74 yard, like 12, 13 play drive that they ended up punching it in. That's their only one. So again, it comes down to turnovers. If we're seeing a, a, a Michigan state team like that we saw against Rutgers, where we're giving them the ball over and over, like you said, they forced five turnovers already this year. I was defense. That is maybe we put ourselves in a bad spot, but if you take care of the ball, you stick to the fundamentals. There's not a whole lot on this Iowa team that really jumps out to you on paper that says we should be concerned about this. So, um, you know, from that perspective and what we saw against Michigan, I think we line up really well against Iowa. And if we take care of the ball, um, like I said, it's going to be probably a pretty good day for us. Yeah. And that's a, that's what it really comes down to. I think if we're looking at what's going to decide this matchup, it's going to be, I, you can, it's easy to say the two quarterbacks, um, but I really think that both teams are going to struggle to run the football. Um, again, Iowa really couldn't get anything going against Northwestern last week. And uh, Michigan state has shown even in the Rutgers game that this run defense is for real. And the tackling, again, we talked about it on Monday's podcast, but the tackling was so good last week. And if you're going to rally to the ball, not allow broken tackles, not allow big plays, and you're going to force this Iowa offense to, to be put in bad spots where they're going to be forced to move the ball 70, 80 yards downfield if they want to score, um, I, I just don't think that that's the game that they want to play. So it's going to come down to most football games come down to, and this sounds stupid, but I think more than most football games, this is going to come down to not turning the ball over and just keeping the chains moving on offense. If we can keep getting these third down conversions that we got last week, if we can just keep moving the ball downfield, we did a great job last week of not turning the ball over and not giving out three and outs, right? We only had two, three and outs last week, both of them in the first half and no turnovers. If we can put that performance together again, and at least win that field position battle. It's just it's going to be one of those games, one of those classic Big Ten games between two pretty good defenses with two great defensive lines who can control that line of scrimmage, who can control the field position, I think is going to come out on top here. So, uh, Scott, are we ready for a prediction? Let's do it. All right. So the Vegas line right now is Iowa favored by six and a half points here as we are recording on a uh, Wednesday afternoon. 
The over-under right now is set at 46. Scott, we'll start with you. Give me your score prediction. How does that work into the Vegas? And uh, and how confident are you feeling about it? Yeah, I mean, so you're looking at an assumed score of 26-27 to 20 uh, in favor of Iowa. So a touchdown, Iowa's a touchdown favorite, about 27 points for them. I don't see Iowa putting 27 points on our defense, personally. I think we're, we are going to control the line. We're going to have some longer drives. Rocky's starting to show uh, an aptitude for converting on third downs similar to, I'm not going to say, you know, equivalent to what Connor Cook had. Connor Cook really had a knack for that, but um, it's starting to show a similar, you know, ability to convert those third downs, which is going to be extremely valuable on this team as we get down the stretch. Um, and I think we, we just continue to control this game and Iowa again, just struggles on offense to put drives together. If we can control the ball, I don't, I just do not see them getting to 27 points. I think our offense is well-rounded enough to put up more than 20. When we did our preseason predictions, I had this game 27 to 24 MSU, but I also had Iowa coming into this game at two and oh. So looking at this <laughs> now, have changed. I mean, this is going to be pretty heavily against what Vegas thinks. I'm putting this one at 27 to 17 Michigan state 10 point win handily covers. Okay. Uh, what did you say the over under was 46. 46 so i'd be one point over give me the over all right um and last week you had the over as well correct wait Wait, no i don't know you had the under last week i had the over i've got 44 points so i've got the under you've got the under they say life's too short for it but uh we'll (laughs) see gotta roll with it yeah so last week uh we both had msu with the points so we had we were both we both hit the spread uh, we both took Michigan straight up, so we lost there. I think you had the, had under, the under, I had the over. Yeah. So, so I you it. hit, you were two and one last week. I was one and two, which brings me to one and five on the year so far in my MSU predictions. Again, I'll take this opportunity to let you know on Twitter at Standing Room MSU, we do the picks every week. I'm nine and three against the spread in the Big Ten. So, um, I actually have been doing pretty well and I've been making myself a little bit of cash, but for some reason, I, I just can't get these MSU picks down. But um, this week, we'll see if we can flip the script uh, again. Iowa favored by six and a half over under at 46. I have my prediction at Michigan State 24, Iowa 19. Uh, I think this is just going to be one of those games. Iowa does have a great field goal kicker. So I have them scoring one touchdown and was that one, two, four. three, four field goals. Yeah. Um, I think this is a game where it, we can swallow one or two turnovers. Um, I, I think if we go above that two turnover mark, it, it'll be really hard to win this game. But I think that they're going to really struggle if they get down into the red zone, because again, they haven't really been able to run the football the last week that they, the way that they would like. Antoine Simmons, this defensive line, I, I feel really confident in saying that we can shut that down. So I, I think Iowa, maybe they can get into field goal range. They have arguably the best kicker in the country in Keith Duncan. Uh, he was, I don't remember if he won or if he was just a finalist um, for the the name of the trophies escaping me right now. The Lou Groza award for the best kicker in the country. There we go. But um, they have a great kicker. And if they get into field goal range, they got three points. But I just I don't feel confident about them being able to march the ball down the field into the end zone. 
and MSU on their side, 24 points. I think we're going to be able to exploit them a little bit through the passing game, but I don't expect this to be a high scoring game. Certainly. I think this is going to be a defensive battle. Again, it's going to be a classic big 10 team. Whoever can kind of control that field position, whoever can limit the turnovers is going to win this one. So um, in that case, I do have MSU against the points, obviously, as I was favored. I have MSU straight up, and this is an under as well. I have this at 43 points, so three points on, uh, about the under. Uh, that sounded horrible, but we both have MSU. We both have MSU at the points, and we both have the under. So what could go wrong, Scott? Yeah, I mean, what it comes down to for me, what's going to lose us this game is is just being – one-dimensional trying to pass the ball and not being able to do it underneath um i that was my one takeaway against michigan and after the rutgers game you know where we are in this season it's just that we really haven't seen that short passing game excel yet uh the running game we kind of know what it is if it breaks out great uh if it doesn't you know i think that's probably more likely especially against the defense like this so if we can't get that passing game going and they shut down the pass over the top you know, that's where we're going to struggle and, and struggle to score points and sustain drives. So um, like, I, like we said, it's going to come down probably to Rocky's arm and his ability to hit those tighter windows is something he hasn't really been challenged with so far this year. And uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think we have enough film for me to really say if I'm confident or concerned about that. Obviously my prediction would lead me to believe I'm <laughs> feeling a little bit more confident. <laughs> so hopefully that's what we see. Um, I think Rocky's still got a lot to show us. I do think he's, he's got a lot to prove and he's a bit better than a lot of people gave him credit for. So, um, excited to see this one. Yep. (laughs) I'm excited to see this one. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think we're going to pull it out. Yeah. This is like, I don't know. It just, it feels like a stinky line and you see these every once in a while where again, we pick against the spread every single week and you see some of the lines that come out and you're like, something's up here. Like Iowa without their best player who's Owen two is favored by a touchdown. Like it just something's up here. And so that as a better, that always makes you feel really nervous uh, where, where you're picking, you're like MSU. This is so obvious that at least against the spread, there's no reason that they should be favored by seven points. Maybe they win this game but there's no reason they should be favored by a touchdown. It's just one where you look at it and you're like, what am I missing here? I, I don't know because look, it, it goes both ways. Cause sometimes we said the same thing last week. There's no reason that in a rivalry game, Michigan should be favored by three scores. Um, and we both picked us to lose, but the spread was easy money. And, you know, maybe this is another one where we're just like, Hey, look, Vegas got this one wrong. I don't know what the hell they were looking at. But there's a reason that those hotels and casinos are as big as they are. They are right a lot more than they're wrong. And I don't know. It just, this makes me nervous. I don't feel comfortable with this pick at all just because of that side alone. Like, what am I missing here that Vegas knows that I don't know? I'm not sure. But I do feel pretty comfortable in my assessment of MSU being the better football team, MSU having the momentum. And I'm just curious to see where I might come up wrong here, because again, my, my MSU predictions haven't been great so far, but uh, hopefully that all turns around here. Hopefully everybody has a a great safe weekend here. 
Um, you know, again, we, we try to stay away from all the politics, but, you know, hopefully whoever ends up winning this election, everybody stays safe afterwards. I, you know, there, there's a chance for some chaos here. So hopefully we can uh, take your mind off of that a little bit, you know, just thinking about some football, some MSU football, and everybody have a great safe weekend. Um, again, follow on Twitter at standing room, MSU at Spartan Martin, 18, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you listen, we're probably there. Um, tell your friends and family. I, I really appreciate that. Anytime I get something, I get a Twitter DM or from time to time where, Hey, you know, my buddy told me about you and I figured I'd give it a shot. You know, this last episode was great. Um, I get those DMS from time to time and it just makes me feel nice. So, I appreciate you telling your friends and family. I appreciate the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Keep those coming. And everybody have a phenomenal, safe weekend. Go Green!